3D printing binoculars and analog skies, Robert Usmani on episode 321 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky. And this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. Robert Asumendi grew up under the dark skies of rural Illinois, where his passion for the night sky was ignited. Like many of us, he moved to areas less favorable for astronomy in order to pursue education and employment as a graphic designer and web user interface designer. Eventually, he found himself in Western Oregon, a hotbed for amateur telescope building, accessible dark skies, and where one evening he had a peek through a friend's self-built 200-millimeter binoculars, which channeled his interest to explore 3D printing of binoculars and through analog sky. He has fused his creative side with a love for astronomy. So welcome to the show, Robert. Great to have you on. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. We should uh, do a quick shout out. We were mentioning uh, Tom Atvas, who connected us with Robert, and uh, Tom's been a great supporter of the podcast and uh, certainly appreciate him connecting us with Robert and yeah, some of the other behind the scenes support that Tom gives us. Really appreciate that, Tom. Thanks so much. So we're excited to talk about 3D printing binoculars. Robert, as we came on and we're having our pre-show chat, I was showing you that, well, Shane has his somewhere behind him, I'm sure, and the massive shelf of equipment that he has. But I was showing you my little pair of sort of constellation view binoculars that Shane and I 3D printed. So, uh, you know, it's something we've we've already kind of explored on our own over here at the Actual Astronomy Podcast. So we're excited to hear about your larger 3D printed binoculars today. Yeah, well, you guys are already off to a great start. I mean, start start on one end and then just move toward the other end, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm really excited too, as uh, as you probably know, I've been getting into just bino viewing in general uh, with a singular telescope. But I certainly recognize the advantage of you know a true binocular, where you have uh, you know two optical paths going you know one into each eye. So this is this is awesome. I'm excited for this conversation. Quick side note is our listeners can't see this, but Chris has a M51 background for his zoom image and it's somehow become three-dimensional and it's wrapping around his head. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, I love it. <laughs> we're binocular fans. I was going to say we're big binocular fans, but we like all sizes of binoculars. I've got seven by 35s, 20 by 60s, 10 by 50s, seven by 50s, 10 by 70s. 22 by 100s, custom parallelogram mounts. Shane, you've got a variety of different binoculars. What do you have on your shelf before we hop in, just so people know what where we're coming from? You're certainly the uh, more, more of the binocular astronomer than myself, but uh, the ones that I use the most are the 12 by 36 Canon image stabilized, uh, the little 3D printed binos that we made. That's kind of it. I've got a few others that really don't come off the shelf. My main use case here would be the Bino Viewer uh, mm-hmm. that I've been using pretty much exclusively for the last 12 or 18 months now. So, Robert, how did you first get interested in astronomy, just just like in general, before we start uh, the binocular journey? Well, you know, like you said, I, I, I come from rural Illinois, so it's you know, we have some pretty dark skies out there for um, being east of the Rockies in the United States. The sky was was over my head every night. And, uh, you know, then as a, as a little kid, as a super little kid, even, I was just kind of interested in what, what is this universe we're in? How does it work? What are, you know, what's, what's all that stuff up there? It's just a topic of interest for me in, in both directions, both from an astronomy standpoint and also just being outdoors a lot as a, as a young kid and, and enjoying the sky at night. Or oh. its own beauty. Did your uh, 
family cultivate your interest, help to cultivate your interest as a small child? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, at, at some point I ended up with a smallish refractor, the classic, you know, 1980s tripod. That was a, a telescope that was probably at least as long as me, certainly taller than me. And so it was a little challenging to use at times, but it did give me my first glimpses uh, of the night sky as a little kid. Did you start with a telescope then, or did you hop straight to binoculars? As a kid, I know my, my, I know my parents had a pair of binoculars that had a little green picture of a, of a cat that I think <laughs> denoted the, um, you know, the, the night worthiness of these. I can't remember if they were, you know, like seven by 35s or if they were like seven by fifties or, you know, something like that. But, uh, there were cat eye certified binoculars somewhere in the house, but I never, I never really used those. They were heavy, you know, we're talking about like, you know, 1970s technology. So they're cat, probably cast metal of some sort, way too heavy for a kid to, to hold up. Yeah. How about, how about you, Shane? Shane, did you get going with binoculars or straight into a telescope? Um, it was straight into a telescope. Um, the, you know, the funny thing is I remember my parents had a pair of binoculars. I think they were 10 by fifties. When I was a kid, I just never really thought of using them to look up at the night sky. I always just thought, you know, you needed a telescope for that kind of stuff. And, uh, as such, I never took them out. Fast forward. I think I was in my early twenties when I got my eight inch sky watcher started with that. And then as I read more about, you know, getting into astronomy proper, everybody recommended binoculars. Probably the biggest influence in, at that point in my astronomy journey was the Backyard Astronomer's Guide uh, by Terence Dickinson and Alan Dyer. In there, uh, they recommended, um, I think it was Bosch and Lom legacy binoculars. Uh, so I ended up purchasing those. I think they were seven by fifties and started to use those more and then really began to understand the value of binoculars um, and how... Uh, they can do so much, so many things that a telescope can't do and uh, really open my awareness. Yeah. For, for me, my girlfriend at the time when I was in my late teens, she bought me a pair of binoculars knowing that I had this burning passion to learn astronomy. And I had no idea that you could use binoculars for astronomy. So I always refer to it as the most disappointing Christmas gift I ever received. It turned out uh, pretty good. I, I got to learn the night sky using those binoculars. Uh, I didn't have the money to buy a telescope at the time. So that's that's really how I began learning the nighttime sky and really uh, understanding you know, the, the value of having two eyes on the universe. And I think where my disappointment stemmed from is I always loved binoculars. My folks didn't have them in the house, but my best friend's family had them in their house on their windowsill and my grandparents all did. And I remember going out and I was very familiar with using binoculars and looking at uh, terrestrial things or going out on the ocean with binoculars, but I never thought of looking at the night sky with binoculars. So I just assumed that they wouldn't be any good at looking at the night sky because I had never even thought of doing this. But when you use binoculars on the sky, they are fantastic. So Robert, what were cool. the first yeah. really... Uh, really good binoculars that you used on the night sky to really begin uh, to explore it? Uh, really good. That's a loaded question. You know, I don't, I own <laughs> from a guy sitting honestly, around a bunch of binoculars he made himself. <laughs> I, I own way less binoculars than you really. What, what happened was uh fast forward several years from being a little kid out in the country, the universe conspired to bring me back outdoors under a night sky in Montana on a family vacation. 
you know, I was feeling like uh, I definitely needed to connect back up with the universe a little bit. And I said, you know what? I wonder uh, what it would look like if I if I just went down to the outdoor shop and grabbed some uh, binoculars. And so, you know, to grab some like Nikons, 10 by 50s or whatever, and had a, a couple of nice nights there in Montana. You know, ended up coming back home to uh, the Willamette Valley of Oregon here where we have the Eugene Astronomical Society, which is a pretty active little club. So that's where, you know, I was able to uh, check out a telescope from the Lending Library and then meet everybody who's rolling their own telescopes and, and binoculars. And so that's, I, w- I would say the very first, you know, pair, really good pair of binoculars I looked through was, was those Frank's pair of 200 millimeter binoculars. Tell us a little bit about uh, where analog sky comes from and and how you got into 3D printing binoculars. Because there's, there's, I know just even from the small little handheld constellation view type binoculars, Shane and I uh, cobbled together. There's a lot that goes into making that leap from buying a pair of off-the-shelf binoculars to even printing some very modest binoculars like we did to uh, sort of the crazy advanced setups like you've got sitting on your, it basically looks like you've got a PC tower there, you know, with uh, optical components in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, these these might look like, you know, something uh, something strange right now. This is, I just took the case off so you can see inside of it. I thought it'd be fun to give you a little visual tour yeah. inside for, you know, our podcast audience listening at home. <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh but it helped to talk about it a little bit. But uh, you know, anyhow, bef- you know, before we get too deep into like what makes what makes uh, this pair of binoculars good or that pair of binoculars good, I-, I feel like there are two pieces of information that get left out of sure. You know, pe- I you know, like ninety nine percent of people either don't know these two pieces of information or really haven't thought through the the consequences of of those two pieces of information. So you know, number one is that the brightest view you ever have of the objects in the night sky is naked eye under a dark sky mm-hmm. with both your eyes fully dark adapted. Yep. So, you know, when you see the veil nebula through like a 40 inch telescope, you, you're seeing it dimmer than you, than you see it at naked eye one X. It's just a whole lot bigger. So it's easier for, you know, to see, and that's just how optics works. I'm not like an optician. I don't, I don't understand the physics of it, but um, you know, this is the, this is the thing is that when you're fully dark adapted with both of your eyes open, that's that's the most signal you can get out of the night sky for for visual use, right? Right. That makes you start thinking a little bit differently. If you really think about that, that makes you start thinking differently about how to build your telescope and what it is we're doing out there. And it certainly uh, leads into. The second point, which is that the optical system doesn't stop at the eyepiece, and it doesn't actually even stop at your retina where those photons get turned into uh, electrochemical signals, because what's making the image is your brain. You know, the image actually exists on some kind of, you know, metaphysical plane that would, you know, does it even exist in space somewhere? We don't really understand what that what that image is very well yet, but we do know that uh, your brain does a whole lot of processing to create what we see. It does things like when, when you have both your eyes open, it does things like combine the sharpest parts of both image into one image. It does noise reduction. The view is brighter and 
you can test that. You don't even need binoculars or a telescope or anything. Just go outside in the dark and close one eye and a lot of the stars go away. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, even look at the trees around you, the silhouetted trees, and it goes from kind of sharp, like you can kind of make out those trees, close one eye, and all of a sudden they're blurry and they're lower, much lower contrast. And it's like, oh, wait, I didn't need, you know, I didn't even need a telescope really to, to discover some of these aspects of, of how vision works at night, right? Mm -hmm. There are off-the-shelf binoculars that you can buy, for sure. The handheld ones are all kind of geared toward daytime use for the most part. They're very few that are even like optically are giving you a big exit pupil. Mm -hmm. I guess the question is, how do you how do you make binoculars better for using them under a night sky? You know, we start looking at that. Like I said, I started looking through a pair of 200 millimeter binoculars, which is eight inches uh, that a friend built. And of course, here in Oregon, like that's a that's a very small telescope. You know, out here on the West Coast, everyone here personally met John Dobson back in the day and yeah. was really inspired to build these giant telescopes so you know take you take out your your 10 or 12 inch when you're too like lazy or tired to bring out your 20 inch yeah around here <laughs> so you know <laughs> so even even eight inch binoculars is is kind of it's a smaller aperture instrument but uh, just one look through that through through those binoculars i said wow this is comfortable and i can just stare at it for like minutes Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I was trying to figure, like, how could I get a hold of this thing from from Frank? You know, I decided, you know, I, it, it wouldn't be nice to to roll him down the hill and take it from him. So <laughs> I had to I had to build my own. Right? I'm I'm a millennial. I don't have a bunch of power tools in my shed or or garage. I you know at this point I don't even own my own garage, and I felt like a lot of people a lot of people are in that boat these days of the the halcyon days of telescope building in the 20th century, where it was a bunch of woodworking guys in their shops, you know, in their garages and stuff. And I, I'm just a, a a graphic designer and a computer nerd sitting at my desk. So what what technology can I bring to bear to do this thing that Frank did with wood? Because uh, he's a he's a brilliant uh, mechanic and. And, and woodworker, what what can I do sitting here at my desk after my kids go to bed to produce something similar? And mm -hmm. so that's where I started looking. That is a very long-winded answer as to how I started how I so started good. looking into 3D printing and not just 3D printing. You can see here, you can see here. I'm saying this on a podcast. To my right, there is a completely 3D printed, completely plastic pair of 50 millimeter binoculars called Magic. To my left. There is a pair of 80 millimeter binoculars called Heart. These have an aluminum chassis with a lot of 3D printed parts to make them work. So, and it looks like uh, uh, Magic yeah. looks like what's the size there? Is it looks like it's like about an eight by eight cube with two very large uh, two inch eyepieces housed at the top. Is that about the size of it? It is much smaller than that. It's actually oh, is six, it? by okay. six, six by six by six by six, five okay. and a half or so. So, okay. So that is it. And yeah, so the these two inch eyepieces do stick out pretty far from the top, but you, you could you can put something smaller if you want. I would use two inch uh, eyepieces because this is this is something Shane and I have spent no small amount of time uh talking about, debating at times because we've enjoyed the binocular observing so much, uh, me with my sort of more traditional binoculars and Shane with his bino viewers on his telescopes. And then we've talked about maybe trying to cobble together some wide field 
50 millimeter ish binoculars because uh, a couple of years back, Shane made me and made himself 50 millimeter sort of like super finder scopes, maybe if you will, or, or very small 50 millimeter achromatic F5 telescopes, which we can use two inch eyepieces in to get pretty much like 10, almost 11 degree true field of view, which is a spectacular little instrument. And then with our love for bino viewing and binocular viewing, we're like, we should figure out a way to make this into a binocular telescope. But there's some limitations in doing that, which it seems like you, you've overcome. A couple of things we ran into are just sourcing all the little parts to get the tubes to line up, making sure that you can actually focus because you don't have a lot of focus range in these small focal length instruments, and then making sure that you can actually adjust the eyepieces so that they line up with each of your pupils in your eyes. There's a there's a few challenges there. Robert, how did you design these to overcome the challenge of the small focal length of uh, binocular optics? Oh, well, you know, uh, CAD software helps a lot with that. If you're, if you're 3D printing, 3D printing is pretty accurate. It's within about, you know, a 0.1 of a millimeter is, is about how accurate you can get a 3D print to print on a, a standard machine. So it's, it's pretty easy to create precise parts by 3D printing or laser cutting this uh, aluminum. There are several things here that, that make those adjustments work. Because that's one thing people always say, well, it's impossible to make your own binoculars because, you know, you can't make the, the, the two sides line up and it's only, a, you know, it's only a, a tiny exit pupil you're trying to line up. How do you do that? One way to do that, and I'm turning around these binoculars to, to the back, and in the back here, we have two knobs, uh, one, two, and those are, those are the, the mirrors inside and by turning those knobs, you're able to adjust the vertical and horizontal merging of both of those sides. Mm-hmm. So whether that is for a different eyepieces that aren't totally collimated to each other precisely, um, whether it is because your your individual head works differently from your friend's individual head, and you you know you need to align those a little differently, or or whatever. You know, even if if it's a little jammed up inside, you can you can, you can adjust for that um, just by having a couple of knobs for collimation, and you know that's something that makes binoculars worthy of the night sky is being able to touch up the the collimation easily with your hands with no tools in the dark, and then you can you can unlock those extra levels of we can crank up the magnification, we can. We can go really wide. We can put different eyepieces in it. We can have some fun. So just the side view, can you just turn them to the side for a second? You've, yeah. you've got, there's a, there's a couple uh, things that you have. A, looks like a large knob or a handlebar coming out the back. What is that? Is that a handlebar or? Back here? Yeah, that. Okay. Yeah. So this is quarter 20 threaded, uh, just a small handle that we 3D print, this nice EVA foam around it. It's just a small slew handle. So there are a few different spots on here. Uh, there's one in the back and then there's one on each side uh, that are all quarter 20. So they work with standard photographic equipment. If you have a handle, you really like. Okay. And so when you have this mounted on a tripod, you're able to slew it easily using, using these little handles. Okay. I, I just, yeah. I just want to go back for just a quick minute here. And I just really want to underscore for all of the listeners 
how important those collimation adjustments are for bino viewing. Um, if, if you have binoculars that you're using in the daytime that are just slightly out of alignment, you probably won't really notice it. They'll work fine. You can look at birds or whatever and really enjoy the experience. But at night, if there is anything off in that optical path in terms of collimation or alignment, you really have problems. This is where you can't merge images. Uh, singular stars appear as two and, and you see doubles of everything and it becomes uh, extremely frustrating. And uh, uh, it, it's probably the number one reason why people, you know, if they attempt bino viewing, don't like it because they have problems merging the image and there's usually a collimation issue. So the ability to adjust collimation on uh, these 3D printed binos is is incredible, I think. Um, that That is really, well, a key aspect to making this, uh, you know, a fine instrument. In my large 22 by 100s, I always have to take a little screwdriver with me and tweak that optical alignment with the little screwdriver in the field when I'm setting them up. And that is just a royal pain. I, I, I come from a user interface designing background, as you mentioned in my bio. I you know, built websites, the front end of websites for 20 years. Every day of that is thinking about how are people going to use this? How can we make it easy? How can we make it better? It's kind of the mindset that I'm coming from. And so I kind of categorize when I'm designing my binoculars and just looking at telescopes and binoculars and stuff in general, their features kind of fall into two categories for me. There's like, there's like rich guy features and then there's game changing features, yeah. right? And by rich guy features, I mean, just sort of refinements for refinement's sake. And then there are things that really enable a whole new group of people to use uh, an instrument or for people to use an instrument in a different way. And that's why you can have like, I'm sure everyone at COA is a great, is a great human being. And everyone who owns a pair of COA uh, Highlander Promenars is also a great human being. But that's why you can buy a $6,000 pair of 80 millimeter binoculars that you can't touch up the collimation on yourself or go above 50x magnification, mm -hmm. right? Because it's yeah. like that design process has gone a certain direction. It's like, wait a second, guys, this is, this is supposed to be for, for stargazing. So we need some different features here. Being able to change your collimation in the field touch that up or merging really we call it is just making sure the two the two images line up to each other that's what enables you to send a whole group of stargazers through this instrument at a star party just one after the other getting great views in the night sky i noticed when you when you uncovered the objectives i was kind of surprised like i thought we would see like the traditional two little circles of objective glass there but you can't really see that very easily because there's these three panels that kind of almost looks like Wally in a way, if you remember Wally from the, <laughs> you know, from, from, sorry, I don't mean to make that a comparison off, off the cuff, but, but it has like a visor over top and then visors on either side. Is that for light baffling and, and for dew prevention, or is this just sort of a, a happy accident in, in the design? Um, it is not a happy accident. It is, is very, <laughs> I'll just, it is very intentionally number one, a lens cover for when you're not using it. Cause it flips down mm -hmm. uh, and just, I'm not a careful person who sits there and puts the lens caps back on to mm -hmm. all of my, my eyepieces or back on. I have no idea where any of the, the lens caps are for any pair of binoculars is that I, that I use. I just have a bucket that I put all of my eyepiece caps into <laughs> when I find one. You got to turn all of all your weaknesses into strengths. So I designed this cover that is always stuck to the front of the binoculars. When it's down, 
it is covering up the lenses. When it's up, it's it's both a light shield and a, a little bit of a dew cover there. Mm-hmm. You know, I intend this, especially this magic model, I intend this to be an urban stargazing tool. Being able to black out those street lights with something really is uh, for just printing a couple extra pieces of plastic. We're giving people uh, a lot of of that action of being able to block out all that pesky light pollution. One of the things that I've played around with a bit is using filters uh, with my binoculars, especially like my 35 mils. I can take a two inch filter and stick it over the front of the objective lens. That's really not the way that filters are designed. They're, they're really designed to be placed between the objective or the prism and binocular case and the bottom of the eyepiece. That's really how, how they're intended to be used by the designers of those filters. With a binocular telescope, traditionally, you would be placing those filters, I think, typically onto the eyepieces so that if you want to change out the filters, you have to like, you know, remove the eyepieces and add them back in. Recently, I bought a filter slide for my telescope, and I was wondering, how do the filter slides work with uh, these binoculars? Um, they work great. So I put two-inch filters into these little 3D printed um, filter cartridges. They have little magnets on the bottom. They just go into holes in the sides of both of these models and use the same filter cartridge for both of them. The subsequent 200 millimeter that we'll probably get around to talking about here in a little bit. These filters work great here in Magic, 50 millimeter. You know, people always talk about how with small aperture instruments, you can't use filters, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, not you true. Hear that a lot. Not true it's at not all. not true because of that exit pupil thing. So, you know, yeah. what, what people are saying is that I'm zooming in way too far with a small instrument. I'm using a one millimeter exit pupil or a two millimeter exit pupil, and I'm expecting a dark image to look better when I get rid of most of the light. Like, that's yeah. silly. But if, if we're recapturing that, that naked eye view that I talked about being the brightest view we can get, if we have a seven millimeter exit pupil, a six millimeter, five millimeter, you pop these filters in and it's amazing. It's just like popping a filter into a 30 inch telescope. Mm-hmm. I love using just UHC because uh, it just gives you a little extra without getting rid of all the stars. I've even with this magic 50 millimeter uh, from our urban site for our, our club, we do monthly um, star parties. I've even put O3s into this thing to take a look at at nebulas like you know M42 and and the lagoon. It really cuts through the the light pollution. People can actually see that nebulosity. You know, you can you can use any filter you want with these and get amazing views. So, what kind of power can you use with these? So, it looks like right now you've got some large two inch eyepieces in here. Can you can you interchange? two inch and one and a quarter inch eyepieces or do you have to sort of pick one or the other to stick with yes well with 3d printing i know it's kind of painful to buy inch and a quarter uh, adapters or two inch adapters for your inch and a quarter eyepieces when they cost 30 bucks a piece mm-hmm. but when you're 3d printing them for a whole lot less money it makes sense to just adapt all of your inch and a quarter eyepieces with two inch focuser adapters and just leave them on you can print as many of these you need for an inch and a quarter eyepiece and they just use little grub screws to hold them onto the, the barrel. One of the reasons I got into 3D printing was like, you can't just go out and buy a two-inch focuser that you can jam next to another two-inch focuser, as I'm sure you guys have found trying to mm-hmm. figure out your project. It's like, there, there's not a commercial focuser out there where you can do that. So you, you, know, you have to design one. But two-inch eyepieces really unlock those incredible wide views. Um, this magic here is uh, 
you know, it's F4, like F3.7, technically. It's a 51 by 182 millimeter focal length. These 26 uh, millimeter two-inch eyepieces from Symphony, they give you a 7X view with a seven millimeter exit pupil. So it turns it into like a pair of seven by fifties. And these are these are 60 US dollars a piece is what I love about these. If you're comparing it to like a 25 plus with a 50 degree field or these two inch eyepieces with a 70 degree field, it's like, yeah, even if the edge is a little soft, it's like, it's an amazing view compared to that. Yeah, because um, typically with binoculars, they're in like, I think it's like the F3 or 3.3 to F3.8 ish range. Uh, mm-hmm. What is what is the focal ratio of the objectives that are used for these fifty millimeters? Yeah, so these are so these are just the standard lenses, and that's you know part of this concept. I guess we'll we'll get into. I wanted to use the just the most widely available lens that you can get for a for a fifty millimeters. So that's a hundred and eighty two uh, millimeter focal length, a fifty one millimeter diameter. So that comes out to about f three point seven. This is the exact same lens that would come in a seven by 50 that you bought or a 10 by 50 or whatever by 50. It's just kind of, you know, they put different eyepieces on the other end. Tell people about how they go about getting a pair of these binoculars to put together if they want, because analog sky isn't like a traditional brick and mortar type of establishment. My understanding is that that people, and and you're going to correct me because I'm going to get some of this wrong, purchase the plans and then there's sort of a community associated with those plans. And then what people do is they contact a 3D printing company to print out the parts and they, they put it all together in their home. And they have to order the, um, like the lenses and their eyepieces and that sort of stuff a little bit separately. I, am I getting that right, Robert? Or, or can you correct me on, on what I've said, please? Yeah, Chris, that sounds pretty good. So what, okay. what I am offering to the world, a complete video course on how to build these. If you've ever gone online and, and looked at telescope building because you thought, oh, it'd be cool to build a telescope. But then you look at what, what directions are out there and shout out to anyone who's ever put any information out there into the world about how to build a telescope. It's not a criticism, <laughs> but it's like, it's not totally obvious to everybody, you know, just say like, Hey, you just, you know, you just take your, your saw and you measure this and you cut this and, you know, then you take your other saw and then you drill this and then you glue this, this and clamp this. And, you know, you just do all this math with a lot of pro- maker projects out there. The weak link is the instructions on how to do it. So I said, look, I know that my nine-year-old daughter can put these together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've designed it. So it's super easy. All you need is a three millimeter hex key, a two millimeter hex key, some silicone, made it as simple as possible, and then created a video step-by-step instructional course on how to do that, showing literally my nine-year-old daughter and uh, my wife, Tiffany, putting it together. Together, There's, there's no shenanigans behind the scenes. There's no sanding uh, drilling, gluing, or anything going on after the, the camera stops rolling. What you're seeing is them literally putting together this model that uh, I have in front of me. What I've designed here is not only a new kind of binocular that has all of these really great stargazing features, but also just a new way to do amateur telescope building at home at your kitchen table without all these tools. And so you get the course and we have made the course as easy as possible. So it's like live links to all the components that you need. Uh, yeah. So for the 3D printed parts, if you have a 3D printer, you can, you can print them yourself. If you don't have a 3D printer, there are services you can go online, like CraftCloud 3D is kind of a hub 
where all these different service providers can sign up and you can just upload the files. I've made it real simple to upload the files because they're sort of on sprues, like with a model kit, you know, how the parts are sort of stuck together. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to upload like 50 files. You have to upload like seven or eight files kind of thing. So that part's real easy. You just pick your service provider for you guys up in Canada. I, I kind of checked uh, around the, the Saskatoon area and did not find a, a provider, but I did find Americans who are willing to ship it to you for 10 bucks. So it is, uh, it's a pretty good deal to, mm-hmm. to have it 3D printed. And then the rest of it, you know, AliExpress is where these lenses come from, where my lenses come from. I put the absolute cheapest lenses and mirrors I can find into mine to see how that would look. Because part of, you know, giving people this plan of how to DIY it is most people are going to look for the absolute cheapest thing that they can find, right? Which mm-hmm. is a fine thing to do. So so this has really been designed around what's the, you know, what's the cheapest 50 millimeter lens I can find? What's the cheapest 50 millimeter um, diagonal mirror I can find? And how well does that work? And if I order like 40 of them, then do they all work the same? Anyhow, you get your parts online just through online shopping. Um, You have the step-by-step video course. And uh, it's a really exciting, fun project to do now. I I would contrast it sharply with, I don't know if you guys have kids. I have two young kids. And I have had to sit through several STEM, quote-unquote STEM projects. (laughs) <laughs> that were supposed to be for children to do and I could barely do them and cut myself a bunch and it's super fr- you know there's so many projects out there that's like oh you can do this yourself that's not true man um <laughs> so you know I wanted to put uh my money where my mouth was on this so to speak and so that is that was the genesis of saying hey you know what I will actually sit down my my daughter and uh and, and we're going to film this together and you're going to see that you can do this too. There's kind of like three bits as I see it. So there's ordering of the plans and getting the plans, ordering of the uh, 3D printed components once you have the plans, and then ordering of your optics. I understand this uses mirrors and not prisms. Uh, you have to get yeah. a couple objective uh, lenses. You're going to need to get a couple eyepieces. Is that, yes. do I sort of yep. have that? Okay. All right. Yeah. So we have a big bill of materials when you sign up for the course and it's just like, it's all listed there. So you can just go through that list. You can go through that list as your budget allows without having to, you know, spend a bunch of money on a telescope on Klarna payments (laughs) or whatever payments. Right. We, we have some recommended eyepieces to get you started. Of course you can spend as much money as you want on eyepieces and filters and you could even spend more money if you want on the mirrors and the and the lenses if you want to do upgraded lenses and there will be some recommendations on on all of that how much are the plans and course and then generally how much does it cost to get printed and how much will it cost to get somebody going with a basic set of optics this is magic uh the 50 millimeter the 80 millimeter is heart uh magic the course costs is going to be like 49.95 so 50 50 bucks us is is what we're going to be asking for that including that price of the course itself getting all the components getting them printed getting a couple pairs of basic eyepieces uh getting a tripod to put it on we haven't talked about tripods yet but if you get a basic video tripod like uh the orion tritech 2 is my favorite because it's got a little geared column uh, that works and it's only 80 bucks you can put an entire kit together for about 500 bucks 
That's awesome. Uh, and and Robert, yeah. uh, just as you mentioned, uh, the mounting aspect, is this mounted just to like a standard camera tripod plate and then, you know, just mount yes. it to the ball head or vi uh, uh, like video head or whatever you might be using? Yeah, video head is good because it's kind of locked in altitude and azimuth like mm -hmm. our, our telescope mounts are. Mm -hmm. They have that, they can have counterbalance and nice dampening feel it's really a luxurious feel compared to you know kind of the telescope mount world and so it's actually pretty nice and the, you know the nicest thing about it aside from that honestly is that you can lock it down with because they have little locks for the you know both the altitude pointing it up and down and the azimuth pointing it you know around and around the way that i have come to use these on a video head is when I'm moving them, I'm moving them. And when I'm locking them down, I'm locking them down. And then if we're changing eyepieces, they don't move on you regardless of balance issues with heavy eyepieces. So if you wanted to put 22 Naglers in there, you could put 22 Naglers in there, even though they weigh what, like three pounds for a pair of them, yep. which is more than this whole thing weighs. How much does it weigh? Uh, so with a with a basic pair of eyepieces, Magic weighs about three pounds. Uh, Heart, the 80 millimeter F5, weighs under 10 pounds with a pair of eyepieces. So. Could I mount these on my parallelogram mount that can hold mm -hmm. four pound binoculars, say, maybe even five pounds, I guess. It has a one and a quarter inch. It has like a little plate. Is there like a one and a quarter thread on the bottom? Can I screw my plate onto that and put them on my parallelogram mount? Would that work? You could. I mean, I guess that's an interesting question. I haven't tried using it with the parallelogram mount. I find the compactness of a tripod with a video head really, really nice and easy to use. And of course, you know, these have these both have a 90 degree angle in them. Mm -hmm. um, so there's on Magic, there's one mounting spot on the bottom. On Heart, there is uh, the mounting spot on the bottom, but I have de uh, duplicated all of the uh, mounting spots on this side aluminum wall as well. I have not tried that yet, uh, full disclosure, but it's basically the exact same thing. And so I would, I would guess that uh, if you had like a T type uh, Altaz mount, you could, you could do that also. Cool. So, you know, this is an adventure to go on together. One of the cool things about 3d printing is that we can change the parts too. So, when you sign up for the course, you get a lifetime access to the course, and maybe we will come up with a little bit better focusers. Maybe we'll come up with different ways to do different parts, and when we come up with that through user feedback, you can just print new ones and put those mm -hmm. in. Who knows how people will be mounting these, and it's an, it, will be, it will be exciting to find out. <laughs> yeah, this is awesome. Uh, I love the usage of 3D printing uh, you know, to make this more accessible, but to really sort of change the whole experience in terms of, you know, life cycle of ownership. And like you mentioned, sort of upgrades or modifications that who knows, maybe there's none, but maybe there is some that are developed in the future. And I think this yeah. is just a super neat way to, to get into the hobby or to, um, augment some gear that you, you know, don't have, or, you know, or, or improve what you're using in terms of binoculars. Yeah. And, um, you know, real quick, I know you guys are, you guys love your, your very sharp Takahashi and Borg refractors you used to ultra crisp displays. One thing you could do with this little magic, rather than putting the 50 millimeters in, like you could put in some, these are F 3.7. You could put in some like 44 F fives I've seen out there. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you get a, a sharper edge. You could put your 32 Masuyama into there 
uh, get a get a friend for it yeah. uh, at f5 <laughs> and then uh, you know and then you'd be looking at like 18 degree fields or something like that yeah that's uh, incredible that would yeah. be wild that would be wild I really I, I like this idea I think this is the way to do binoculars for once you get beyond like the regular handheld ones the challenge that Shane and I initially had we talked about making our constellation view binoculars for a while the way ours came about is a friend of mine Randall he sent us pictures and instruction sets that he had modified uh, so he found a set that he liked he did the 3D printing then he made some corrections and sent those to us if we didn't get the augmented instruction sheet, like you said, it's it, it's difficult because every place is a little bit different. Every person is a little bit different. We'll have access to different tools and techniques. So we had to kind of get a processed version of the 3D printed constellation views, view binoculars in order to make them up. So that took a while just to get that. And then we had to sort of you know, just go through the regular process of of getting the other parts and, and building them, which was actually almost easier than getting that initial, well, how the heck do we even make these in, in the first place, uh, which was the big hump to get over. So you're kind of taking people over that hump and then giving them the tools and and the techniques they, they need to put them together. I think it's a great, uh, a really interesting model and, and probably a great way, way to do it, even though it's very different from purchasing anything else that people are going to get. Yeah, I mean it's an adventure. It's it's fun to do. Like, how many hours are you planning to spend outdoors, like actually using them? Like this mag this magic right here, it, it takes about three hours to build. So like one observing session, and you built you built these mm -hmm. and spent less than you would spend on one ethos eyepiece. And it's like in these you could we haven't even talked about what you can see through these things, but at seven millimeter exit people, like you're seeing the heart and soul nebula together with the double cluster, the stock, the stock one, the muscle man, like that whole scene as a scene. You're seeing both of those with these 50 millimeter binoculars. That O3 arc next to M31, you can see that with either of these. Wow. With uh, with O3 filters, you can see the whole North American nebula together with the pelican, and they stand out like like the lagoon practically. Things I could imagine looking at that I've, I've used my little 50 millimeter singular monocular for, which makes these exciting is I found that seeing, for example, Barnard's loop is just the easiest thing to see in a 50 millimeter binocular with an H beta filter. And I could imagine that a set of these uh, would really make short work of it. Probably you'd have uh, no trouble seeing it at all, even without the filter in there. I, I would imagine just the boost alone would be fantastic. I think people may not be aware of the boost that you get. There's there's a couple of things that stand out with these binoculars. One, which is they're, they're angled, they're 90 degree binoculars. So you're not having to sort of tilt your whole head up and move around in, in awkward ways and that they're mounted. So you're going to be able to look into them for a long time. The ability to use the two inch eyepieces and the filters though, for, for me anyway, as, as maybe a more advanced amateur is uh, that's the game changer where you can put those big two inch eyepieces in and the filters in and get the massive field of view and, and to really see some truly huge objects in the night sky. Mm -hmm. You know, and another thing I'll add to that, Chris, is just the noise kind of reduction and how using two eyes produces a better image. The other thing it does is it, it increases the image scale, um, somehow. And, mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to mono viewing, 
you know, if anybody is kind of questioning this or really wanting to understand what the effect of two eyes is versus one eye, just take your binoculars out and close one eye with them and use them and then open the other eye and just see what the difference is like, because it's really quite astounding when you use two eyes. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, it's, you know, to me, what's even more important, um, just from that comfort level, I, I like to do this exercise with people where I just say, close one eye right now and wait 10 seconds. And already after 10 seconds, you start to feel the muscles in the corner of your eyes start twitching, right? Yep. Yep. Like you can feel, you can feel it's uncomfortable. The next you time you're up. out with friends, watch how long they actually look through the eyepiece at a time in their yep. telescope. Um, whereas with this, you know, you can, you can stare through it all night um, continuously as long as you got your favorite eyepieces in there. What that really changes the experience from I'm a guy who knows about astronomy, who's looking for a particular thing and I'm going to go find it. And then I'm going to peek at it and maybe I'm going to change eyepieces or put in a filter to I'm someone who knows nothing about astronomy. I just think this guy's pretty. I want to be a human being enjoying my my night sky. I'm just going to point these anywhere and I'm going to explore around. And it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be the best 10 minutes of my day. You've also got uh, some larger ones. I think initially you had begun with the large binoculars. That's where Analog Sky really got its beginnings. Robert, do you want to tell us a little bit about those first? Yeah. So like I said, I looked through my friend's 8-inch and I like that. So I was like, all right, uh, I'll build those too. And so I started at that end. And then um, I realized I had, well, if... If I can get the 3D printed parts and the laser cut stuff for me, then let's share the the wealth and uh, other people could build these too pretty, with, with just a screwdriver. So, so I did that, realized that the 200 was going to cost people a lot of money for mm-hmm. me to build for them and set up kind of a micro manufacturing thing. And so I came up with a six inch that would be significantly cheaper just because it's so much lighter and you wouldn't need like a... a $3,000 Berlebach tripod to, to, to put it on. Right. Mm-hmm. I thought, all right, we'll, we'll do the crowdfunding thing. What's the year 2019, but put, built the mailing list, put it all together, shot the video and launched the crowdfunding campaign. Um, the first week of March, 2020, when, you know, the entire United States at least closed down for COVID. Yeah. So um, I raised $100,000 in the first two days and then wow. uh, sold sold one more unit <laughs> after after that. So things got put on hold. And of course, all the mirrors, all the parabolic mirrors disappeared. So yeah. it's like, all right, what are we going to do? My buddy Frank, again, the same Frank who built the 200, he built himself some 80s out because he was able to just get those 80 millimeter FIs from Surplus Shed. Mm-hmm. And the view through those blew me away again. You know, this business mostly is about me stealing Frank's ideas and, and trying to make money <laughs> off of them. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Frank. <laughs> uh, shout, shout out, Frank. Um, no, so, so anyhow, but I do get people asking me, okay, when do the big ones come back? Uh, you yeah. know, now that I've I put it out there in the world that I'm doing these lens ones, w- uh, when do the big ones come back? And I am revamping those because the mirrors are like twice as expensive now. Yeah. Uh, to get, you know, they're starting to come back, but it's just going to be an eight inch, but you build it yourself and it's going to be a travel job. So that little telescope in a box concept, yeah, it's going to be able to fit in your carry on, on an airline, uh, 200 millimeter binoculars, and it's going to fit under hopefully 
It's going to fit under uh, the 15 pound or seven kilogram weight limit that countries like New Zealand and the Southern Hemisphere give you for your carry on. Coming back, first prototype this summer at Oregon Star Party. Everybody come to Oregon Star Party. And then uh, the, the course will be available next year. And when's the course available? Because I think you, you were saying um, you're working away on the course for the 50, 50 millimeter are called the Magic. The 80 millimeters are called the Heart. Uh, when do these courses become available or are you still working on them? Yeah, so we just wrapped shooting on the on the Magic uh, 50 millimeter uh, a few days ago in terms of the instructions. So um, if it hasn't become clear yet, I am just one guy and I, I have a day job. Uh, I'm not, I didn't sell an apartment in, in San Francisco for $5 million. Um, <laughs> this is... This, this is an entirely hand-to-mouth uh, labor of love uh, yeah. endeavor uh, because we all only have a certain amount of time uh, in this universe to do something that we're, we're really into. We're there with you yeah. on that one. <laughs> it's it's going to get here when, when I'm done with it. I'm hoping that is within the next few weeks for magic. And then heart is going to come right after that. How can people stay up to date and follow? You've got YouTube channels. You've got some other things. What's the best way? Is there a newsletter people can sign up for? They can sign up for the newsletter. Um, people who have been on the newsletter for a while will know that I really do not spam that at all. So uh, sign up for the newsletter. And you know that when you actually get an email from me, it's for a good reason. Um, and likewise with the, with, with social media, we have all the social media accounts analog sky at various places. Uh, again, I'm, I make stuff. I'm not a poster. I wish I was better at being a poster. You know, it, it takes time and takes time away from actually doing the thing. So, mm-hmm. uh, I'll be a much better poster once the thing is actually ready. And, uh, and so stay, just, just sign up, sign up on all those subscribe and, uh, you'll know when it's, when it's here. I subscribe. We'll let people know on the show. Speaking of things, there's one more thing. This is going to be just like a Steve Jobs moment here. There's one more thing, <laughs> isn't there, that you showed us at the very start, and this really got me interested. Tell me about that little thing you pulled out at the start of the show. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, so I got handhelds too. So I find handheld binoculars really uncomfortable to use for any length of time um, because they're heavy and awkward and they're too much magnification. But these handhelds, I was like, if I was making a handheld, what would I make? So they're three and a half by 24s, which is a really unique view of the sky, I gotta say. I mean, 5X is an incredibly unique view of the sky. Three and a half is, is you, you haven't seen it before, if you haven't seen it before. And they got filters, it's gonna have a laser, just like these other ones have a laser. And we're gonna jam a bunch of electronics into it so that it is um, a useful tool for you out in the field, like has an SQM meter, has a laser for pointing things out to your friends with that little extra bit of magnification to help you pick out, you know, Uranus or whatever. So super useful tool in the field and fun, fun view that you can't get from, you know, from like a manufacturer, right? What's the true field of view on the uh, three and a half by 24s? A lot. (laughs) <laughs> like it, you know, right now I just have some 25 millimeter fossils in here. So, um, yeah. what, what I want to do, I mean, these are going to be a little ways off, but what I want to do is sit down with someone like Harry Seabird or someone who's really good at designing eyepieces and come up with, see if, can we get a six, can we cram 65 degree field into this? Or can we cram a 70 degree field even and get that exit people up? 
with the big field and just wow, that would be like going nuts with it. That'd be mm-hmm. pretty good because I think with our constellation views, which Shane, correct me if I'm wrong, I think ours are like two x, if that, maybe just under. Yeah, I think they're two x. Yeah. Anyway, something like two x, and we end up getting about an effective aperture of I don't know, like around twenty or twenty five millimeters. So this this gets a uh, little bit more power and sounds like maybe a little bit larger field of view. Even if you can get sixty five degrees out of them, that'd be awesome. Yeah interchangeable eyepieces too so you can you can change you know you can go up to 5x maybe <laughs> wow <laughs> so, something like that there's a book from uh the late 19th century i can't remember the author's name but it's about using opera glasses to look at the night sky service and, you know he talks about yeah yeah service that's his book so uh you know at the beginning he says go to the pawn shop get the opera glasses that are like 4x i think three or four x he says, don't get the surplus Navy binoculars because they're 6X or 7X. And that's just way too much magnification. That's not how the sky is meant to be seen. It's just, it's too much. So uh, <laughs> there is a, there is a historical concept of like, you know, uh, of, of, of this kind of view of the sky. So I thought, hey, I should knock that together and see what, what that actually looks like. There will be well, a 60 inch too. I mean, yeah. <laughs> On on the other end, there's going to be a 60 inch uh, yep. for for any not billionaires, but if there are any millionaires listening and you're you're cool, you're all right to talk to, hit me up and uh, there will be 60 inch binoculars if, if you want to build them. Yeah, it's true. We didn't even really look at heart, but uh, if you're really into your your optical quality, like that's f five, those lenses are incredible. I have an optician buddy tested those and the lenses. I just want to shove that into the conversation here since we're mostly put, focused on magic. But these 80 F5s uh, that go into the short tube 80s look really, 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 really good at these lower magnifications. So if you are a, an image quality nut, then that might be the one. Great meeting you, Robert. This is amazing. Uh, wish you all the best. Uh, and I'm excited to see these kind of live in the world and, you know, other people using them. I, I think this is an amazing concept and uh, I'm glad you're doing it. So thank you. Cool. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. I really appreciate being able to have a conversation about this with with some enthusiasts, especially people who really love those wide views of the sky. And you know, um, it's it's great to be able to share share this love of of this kind of view. Thanks so much, Robert. Really appreciate it. it was It was really a lot of fun. I uh, am a huge binocular fan, and and looking forward to maybe some of these in in the future once I get some of my other projects that are currently underway done. You can follow Robert and the three D printed binocular revolution at analogsky.co. And dear listeners, please subscribe to us. Do us that favor and share it with the stargazers that you know. We certainly would appreciate it. You can always reach us at actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>